back again for another episode of crystal myth and boy what a show we have for you i've really hit your expectations quite high there so that's probably gonna go horribly wrong <laughs> i'm just trying to do my showbiz boy you sound like i, I can't on, think yeah. of anybody famous for some reason it's too hot to think of famous people yeah are we all feeling a bit lethargic because of the way yeah. like we're all yeah, melting mystique's melting us <laughs> but really slowly <laughs> I feel like I always fuck up, like like I have to say fix the mistakes or the errors that I made in the last podcast. So when I said about, you know, the guy from American Psycho, I called him Jason Bateman. That's not his name, it's Pat. Oh yeah. Jason yeah. Bateman's like an actor, I think. I'm so bad at names, I don't think I would have even noticed. Again, I was about to get that wrong. No, I wouldn't have noticed either. I knew his second name was Bateman. Yeah, because but... I listened back to the podcast and I'm like, oh shit, they're going to think I'm such it's, an idiot. It's not always referred to as Bateman as well. Like, I, I feel like they don't say his actual name very much. Mm, I don't know. He's got yeah. a business card, doesn't he? Doesn't he go mental? Yeah. Because <laughs> Paul's business card was better than his, so that's why oh you had God, to ask yeah. him in the face. That's hey, Paul! <laughs> I thought I'd actually really prepare seen? business cards. It's really sad. <laughs> Do people not do that? People do. I've definitely like compared people's business cards before. In Japan, it's like it's mandatory. Even if yeah. you don't even have a business, you just need to give them. That's how you introduce yourself to someone. You exchange business cards. Well, yeah. yeah and a lot of theirs have it in both, like one side's in Japanese and one side's in English. Theirs are always really pretty, actually. But um, yeah, I've definitely been at things where we've been really sad and compared business cards. It's not a proud moment, but. <laughs> That is but you probably didn't kill anyone with an axe afterwards, so you know. It's I mean, I thought about doing that. Over the business card. To get ahead in business, you do have to be a yeah. psychopath. You do have to be really ruthless, and it? it's oh, it's not worth it. No amount of money is worth that. Lot. What was my boyfriend were talking last night about? Oh, because we were watching Ghost Adventures again. It was Demon House. This is so far from like the topic that we're going to be talking about, but fuck it. Uh, so we were talking about it was a Demon House, and then suddenly I think David said something like, "Do you think maybe high-powered businessmen are that psychotic that they'll hire like a person to conjure up demons just to get rid of their competition and curse them?" I was like, "Okay, maybe not." I mean. I think they'll do nastier tricks than that. All right. They'll conjure up things to get nastier than summoning demons. Yeah, to fuck definitely. <laughs> okay. Uh, but that's when we'll get into that with, when we talk about the Masons and stuff. I, I suppose there's going to be shit like that going on. But anyway, this week we're talking about cryptids again because can't get enough of them. There's plenty to talk about. So we love those sexy cryptids. Uh, um, I don't know. <laughs> Sexy. Is it Yeti sexy? I feel like. I mean, yeah. To be fair, the ones that I've picked are like tiny, cute, like things that you keep as a pet. So actually, not sexy at all. Aww. Yeah, mine's a big fuck off massive tur- turtle. So. Oh yeah, well, that's quite sexy. Yeah. <laughs> I could see myself riding on a turtle's back, lotus in the lotus position style, which I can't do, but I can fantasize. I mean, yeah, fun times. Okay, well, a normal sized turtle or. a no, I've got to be a giant one. Okay. Why would I? If I sat on a normal sized turtle, it would die. It would get crushed. <laughs> it wouldn't. Fucking would. <laughs> I get done for animal cruelty. Uh, Stronger than you think. That I wouldn't. I wouldn't subject just, it. To yeah, please don't sit on turtles. <laughs> know, just it's don't. like you know when you get warning things on uh, films. Oh, of, like, yeah. not try this at home. Please, no, no turtles were harmed in the making of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't ride turtles yeah well yeah so you want to start with the turtle thing then yeah. tell us about this turtle okay. got me in a not just taking a bite of an apple then as you said that mm. <laughs> i'll have a drink of my lemonade mm. well the turtle is i think i can't pronounce it so the name so i'm just gonna keep calling it, it slowly it's the aspidochilon aspidochilon it's like very 
sort of medieval beast. Um, it's a sea creature. And I think it comes up in so many different stories. It's basically a massive. Is it multicultural? Uh, yeah, actually, like it really is actually. So then, like some of the the stories refer to it as a turtle where it's back, it's a sea turtle, so it's in the water, but its back will appear above the sea and it looks like sand and grass has grown on it. So it looks like an island. Other ones say it's like a whale with the same thing where it's got like a a back that's kind of rocky, sandy, grassy. And so basically any like travellers are going by in their boats, like seamen, they'll think it's an island and they're lost at sea and they'll come sit on the island and they'll park up on the island. (laughs) They'll um, set their like fire like to to cook their meals around. As soon as it steals the fire on its back, it drags them down into the ocean and eats them. So Absolute fucking shit. Yeah. Um, Imagine you're like you think you're somewhere and you're like oh, I'll just pitch up here and then the next thing you're like actually where are we? I think we're like thirty miles out of our range where we're supposed to be going here. What? <laughs> um, it's like the other thing. It also can like emit like this nice smell that makes fish come towards it as well, uh, and it traps and eats them. So the thing is about a lot of this is so for example with like the book of Jonah, with, like Jonah and the whale, mm-hmm. like that's meant to be that same whale. Did you see that story recently of that man that got swallowed, well he claims he was swallowed by a humpback whale and then spat out again? Mm. No. For like 10, 30 seconds or something. He was, he was a diver and like an ocean diver. I don't know what he was doing there. And he said one minute he was you know, swimming about uh, casual like, and then it, everything just went dark and then he realised oh. he was in the mouth of a whale. I mean, I've never seen a real whale, but are these that big? Yeah. yeah, I was thinking like that, although I laughed at first, that does seem possible, doesn't it? Like maybe... Maybe it was. And then the whale must have just realised, oh, fuck, what's this? And then just spat him out. Yeah. So weird. I mean, it happened in Pinocchio as well, didn't it? Monstro the whale. Yeah, that's another story. It's meant to be the same creature that Pinocchio So whenever it's like a whale or a turtle, all the stories are a bit different, but they both have this concept of that people think that it's an island and they go, they... (laughs) Sorry. Um, No phone calls during podcasting. Sorry. Um, well, she's being uh, carried out to sea by a gigantic whale island. Oh, well, in that case. Yeah. Although I suppose there's not much you can do, yeah, if that is the case. Yeah, yeah. yeah basically, so, sorry, Leslie, you can edit all that out, right? <laughs> so, yeah, basically, either it's a whale or a turtle, but both of them have this concept of that it that it appears on land as if it's an island. So, like, for example, in, you know, you're asking, is it multicultural? So in Greek mythology, it's a monster in the sea, and Latin is asp turtle, um, but they still have this concept of turtle or whale, and it uh, it hides near places, so it'll hide near, like, you know when you're on a beach, sometimes there's, like, a little thing that you could probably swim into, it looks like an island. Sandbank? Yeah, like, something like that. So yeah. it'll be close enough to the shore that it looks like that. So then, like, sailors or people are just chilling on the beach will go towards it thinking, oh, it's just a wee sandy bit that's really nice. And then as soon as they go onto it, then it it drags them down and eats them. Um, but they have this concept of that that's the fate of who doesn't heed, um, that pays no heed to the devil, and that this creature is actually associated with the devil. And a lot of the story seems to have that attachment to it, is that it's, it, even though it's a sea creature, it's still, it's evil, and it's... As you weren't um, part of this podcast, yes, I don't think. But remember mm-hmm. um, when I was talking about sea bishop? Like, yes. Um, in medieval times, they believed that um, everything that was on the earth was also in the sea. So they had like a sea pope and sea bishop. So maybe they've got like a sea devil and sea hell and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and the sea bishop. Yeah. I don't know. Just it, yeah. That's what that would be the same kind of mm-hmm. like not same creature, but same like family of creatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know the same. I've seen pictures of turtles that have moss and and yeah. plants grown on their back, and I've seen yeah. a massive like video. Well, not a massive video. I've seen a, a video of a massive sea turtle, and they are fucking massive. Yeah. Like, so I can I can see where that story. Yeah. Massive one, the size of a whale. Yeah, so I could believe that, I mean, the ocean's not really been that much explored, yeah, so I could believe that there'd be massive turtles underneath the sea yeah, some. Don't see them. About it's it. certainly more believable than a sea bishop. Yeah, yeah <laughs> The thing that gets me is that, you know, I was saying to you, like, a lot of cultures seem to have it, so yeah, so yeah they've got that in Greek culture. There is... Um, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote a poem called Astitikalon, and it was about this same creature again, 
but it, that's the word that in old English poems that they give to the devil. So again, it's this associating this creature with the devil, and it's a shame. like I don't know, it's more weird. Like I feel like I've not really heard this stuff before. But yeah, it's it's a poem about a fish or a great sea monster that's met and it destroys the men that land on it, and it appears like a rough boulder that is near the shore, and they think it's an island, and they they, they get killed when they want it when they climb on it. Want it? It's but they, they see that it's demons that are doing that. They think that this thing is a devil or a demon. And it's, yes, yeah, so that's what's happening. I disagree. I don't think it's a devil. I, I think, think you know, if you're going to climb on a creature's back, then hell mate, hell mate, you. Yeah, you're going to get what you deserve. Mm-hmm. Other places where it appears is the story's about Sinbad and the Sailor. It comes up in that a lot. Or again, this massive, but that seems to be more of a whale with the, the island thing on its back. What else is there? There is yep, Jonah and the whale that comes to the bottom there. Um, there's old like like Middle Eastern stories, like Babylonian, Egyptian stories as well of a travelling ship seeing um, a fish that had grass and stuff growing on it and it thinking they were their dry land. So it's the same story again where the sailors thought it was dry land, went on, went to cook their food and then got dragged down and drowned in the end. So it's like the same story in Egypt and I guess Babylonia is now Iraq. Yeah, Iraq. They've got the exact same story again. Maybe it's because they're all seafaring countries and there's rivers. I suppose there's water everywhere, isn't there? I mean, I don't suppose they would have that in landlocked countries. (laughs) Yeah, maybe they don't really have sea creatures. But even in like sort of Middle Eastern tales of like a thousand, um, what do you call it? A thousand and one nights, something like that. I'm glad you got to the end of that because in my head I was just going a thousand and one a space odyssey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tales of a thousand and one nights, it's in that. Um, That's got like some bad sailor type stories in it. And then interestingly, even in Chile, there's stories of this giant sea monster called Kuro and again it's this vast creature with again something on its back that lures sailors into their deck so it just seems like it's popping up all over the world but like you see in the places that are next to the sand the sea or the rivers it's also in Never Ending Story there's an island turtle that lives in the swamp of sadness I don't remember that there's a massive turtle and I think they're standing on it and then it wakes up and it moves oh I remember the swamp of sadness but I didn't remember the turtle so there's an island turtle in that as well. Um, I don't know. I, I remember that. I love I'll it. need to look that up on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, there's one in that. It's called the, um, the giant turtle's called Morla. And she, he or she is in the, the, swamp, the swamp of Sadness. Oh. There's also uh, a Pokemon called the Torterra is based on the island turtle as well, oh. which is quite cool. Has it got an island on its back then? Yeah. Let me see. There's a Pokemon for literally everything, isn't there? I know. Torterra <laughs> does, yeah. He's got a, a tree nice. and an island and stuff on his back. Love it. Actually has that. Is he a good Pokemon or bad one? Uh, can you get good or bad Pokemon? I, I suppose know. it just depends on who's one that's yeah that owns you. Yeah, but it's <laughs> full on soil and trees and things. Oh. Do you think then that other creatures would live on it ecosystem on its back? Well, some some of these stories have that yeah that these turtles are so humongous that they have full on cities on their back. What cities? Cities, <laughs> yeah. So there's um that's mad. I don't know what this is, but there's the of monsters and men depicts a whale-like creature with a city on its back. But um, then it can't go underwater because then everyone who lives in that city, or unless I presume they're all dead, like the underwater, lost, like Atlantis. Yeah, maybe that's the lost city of Atlantis is on on his what back, and that's why it's lost. It would have to be like napping for quite a long time for you to build an entire city on his back as well. And then there's like, when you think about it, like it may be the inspiration for Discworld, the Terry Pratchett yeah. novels, yeah. because yeah. He, his world or universe has a turtle in space with yeah. the disc on its back. Yeah. That's what this reminded me of, actually, was the, the Discworld. But it just, it all feels like it's coming from something very similar to that. Um, oh, and I'm not Avatar, but Avatar: the Last Airbender. That oh. that has a, a lion turtle in it. That's the same creature that's carrying a whole ecosystem on, like on its back in different shells. And in, in Stephen mm-hmm. King's universe as well, which is kind of random, is it Pennywise the clown mm. is terrified of a turtle? Yeah. yeah. I can't remember what it's called though, but oh, there is I can't something... remember either. But it's like the opposite of whatever he is. Uh, yeah. it's, it's like the, the all good well, version of the all evil, whatever it is that Pennywise is. Because in Steve, there's I've not read this, but there's Stephen King film called The Dark Tower. Yeah, it's a fish guardian in that, and oh, it's right. like, and I think that again is similar to this concept. And it's one of twelve guards that basically sends help or support 
or I don't know what sending support works or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, this concept seems to come up in a lot of different stories, a lot of different cultures, a lot of different countries. Yeah, it seems very universal. It's like a universal cryptid. I wonder if it expands across the universe, like not just at Earth, like maybe every planet that supposedly has life yeah. has a, a turtle myth. Yeah. Turtles are magical creatures now, I believe. I know. I feel like they are. I think they're pretty cool. And they're, they're so old, like so mm. old. Um, so it seems to be linked to a lot of stories of like vanishing islands as well, where people thought there was an island there and it obviously disappears because it's a turtle. But it seems really cool. Like I kind of want to see one. I'd love to see one, but not get by it and not killed by it or anything. Yeah, it'd be nice if there was like a friendly one that just like you sort of come and chill on its back and have a. Well, that was like the video I saw where there was people just swimming about this giant turtle. Yeah, it seems like it's pretty, cool, pretty cool. I mean, don't mess with its eggs, but yeah, okay. apart from that, snapping turtles look quite mean though. Yeah, I wouldn't want to get bitten by one of them. It's quite strong jaws. Yeah, but. Yeah, I think I feel like if you just don't piss them off, they're they're mm. fairly kind creatures. So maybe just don't piss them off. Don't be mean to them. Yeah, um, try and light a fire on its back. Yeah, exactly. What do you expect was gonna happen? But it sounds like it's luring them in, though. Like it's the one that deceived them into like coming to park up on its back. Yeah, I think that's and just what sucks them down. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't like this idea of it being like Satan. No, I don't I'm like, I'm rejecting that part. Yeah. I think it's just getting on with its business and it's hungry sometimes. Exactly. I think that's just humans <laughs> projecting their own fuck ups onto the poor turtle. Like, um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Oh, that was really cool. Oh, yeah, Mark. Hi. Hi. <laughs> what cryptids do you want to keep as pets? Uh, yeah, so I, as you quite rightly said, there looked at cryptids that I thought would make good pets. So I looked at two of them the jackalope yes. and the tizzy wizzy. See, the tizzy wizzy, that just sounds like a kid's TV yeah. program that you just made up. Or like a dodgy toy. A <laughs> dodgy toy. <laughs> So they're both, I mean, I think like they make good toys or like a toy idea. They're both basically like really cute hybrid animals. So the Tizzy Wizzy's are cryptid from the Lake District. And it's the one that I've not got like lots of detail on because there's not really that much about it. Um, because the first sighting was around 1900. And although there's been sightings of it or them since then, like they're not rare, but they, they're not frequent either. Um, <laughs> So, the Tizzy Wizzy was spotted, and this is the description that most people that say they've seen one since would go with. They say that the Tizzy Wizzy looks kind of like a miniature hedgehog with the wings and antennae of a bee and the tail of a red squirrel. So, yeah, if you can envisage that, <laughs> just like a cute little creature. Mm, quite cute. Yeah. Can it fly? It can fly, yeah. So, uh-huh. normally when people spot it, it's like flying about. So, I suppose it's more of an insect than a mammal, even though it's got like kind of mammally features, but it's got antenna, it's got wings, it flies oh my around. God, I've just Googled it, it looks like a hedgehog. It looks like someone took a hedgehog and stuck like fairy <laughs> on it, <laughs> and then a bit of like you know you get tassels on like curtains. It looks like someone stuck that to its ass, but it's it like, <laughs> <laughs> it's an actual hedgehog. That's a great description, like a mad scientist's version. Yeah, like Franken Peck. Frank. <laughs> yeah. Now, part of the reason there's not a lot of information on it is because what about it is that it can fly faster than any other creature that's ever existed. So if you spot one, they normally fly away so quickly that you can't possibly hope to catch it. They're also amphibious, so if it like flies away from you at high speed, it can dive into the water, and then obviously you won't be able to follow it, because uh, it can also swim at high speed. So the only way to lure one in, which is apparently how people have managed to spot one, but again, nobody's ever caught one, is to put ginger out, because apparently they love ginger, or if you put like ginger snaps or other ginger biscuits out, apparently they'll come to eat them. But yeah, there's not really any like big famous stories of it, like the, re- the famous story of it's really just like the first guy that apparently ever spotted one, and then people have gone to the Lake District and either reported to have seen them or tried to spot them sense but but i thought they were quite sweet and yeah that's how you lure them in offer them some ginger biscuits and they might i've never heard of this thing before but i've been to the lake district i've never seen any like signs or information about tizzy wizzies i suppose maybe they just always advertise them yeah they're their own little secret thing like mm. <laughs> they don't want everybody storming the lake district looking for tizzy wizzies <laughs> Who yeah, maybe that's why it's this. Um, I think it's just they... like kind of like bumblebee like it's just what they're oh. called it just has to be very cute because <laughs> <laughs> they like whiz about and Tizzy must be something because, like, Beatrix Potter, she was from the Lake District, wasn't she? Tiggy. And, like, Tiggy no, Winkle. No, she wasn't so. from 
the Lake District. She just happened to move there and, and live there. there. Yeah. But like Taggy Winkle's the hedgehog character there, and then Tizzy Wizzy. And obviously she wrote Mrs. Taggy Winkle after the Tizzy Wizzy was discovered. So so yeah, I don't know. I, d- I don't know what the the like root of the name is, but yeah, there must be something in like Tizzy, and then I assume Wizzy's just because it goes really fast. But then because there wasn't a lot on that, I then looked at the Jackal Bell because it's a similar sort of idea. So again, it's this like really cute hybrid animal, but it's from the USA. It's one of probably one of the USA's most famous cryptids. The one of their biggest taxidermy exports in the USA is jackalope taxidermy, which isn't actually from people catching and stuff in jackalopes. It's from people right. hybridizing creatures to make a jackalope. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm going to guess because you said American. Okay. So when you say jackalope. It makes me, well, lope, I think of antelope, but jack mm-hmm. makes me think of jack rabbit. Okay. Am I close? You are. So it's a creature which looks like a large-ish, like about the size of a cat, so not like huge, a rabbit with like antelope antlers. Oh, so it's just a rabbit with horns. Basically, yeah, <laughs> a it's a rabbit, rabbit with horns. That's a metaphor, if ever. <laughs> a visual metaphor, a horny rabbit. So, they don't, they don't, someone just stuck antlers on a rabbit then, called it a jackalope. Well, yeah, basically the... <laughs> The taxidermy is like a large, basically like if you catch or find a dead a large rabbit, then they stuff it and they attach antelope horns on, and then it's like a, a full jackalope. But people believe that jackalopes are real creatures, like the tizzywizzy. Apparently they really love music, and apparently they, like, they're nocturnal, so they'll hide in the dark near campfires, but like out of range of you being able to see them. And they'll like sing along with cowboys that were camping, <laughs> and there was cowboys about, and nowadays like, if there's any like campers or like scout or guide troops or whatever out, then apparently they'll hide. Do you know what that reminds me of, Mark? What does it remind me of? The Three Amigos, where they're out camping, Steve Martin, Chevy Chase and Martin Short, and they start singing a nice wee song, and then all of a sudden the animals appear, and they start singing as well. I think one of them's a turtle. It's like... Well, if there was a jackalope nearby, it would come out and like hum along with their song. It's cute. 
Um, similar to the Tizzy Wizzy as well, the like best thing to use to lure them in is uh, quite odd. So apparently their favourite thing is whiskey and whiskey flavoured things. So if you pour whiskey out in a dish or you spill your whiskey when you're camping or if you have like whiskey flavoured uh, biscuits or cake, then that'll be more likely to lure them to your camp if you want to see one. Do they get drunk? None of the stories involve them being drunk, but I guess if they're that small and they're like down in half a bottle of whiskey, then you're yeah, the <laughs> That's why they like to sing so much, because they're always fucking hammered. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> a party animal. So the first ever reported sighting of a jackalope in the USA was in 1800, and that was in Wyoming. Although there have been many sightings all over the USA and several in Canada as well since the 1800s. But the sightings actually date back further than this. The first sighting of a creature like this basically actually dates back to 13th century Persia but they just called them basically the Persian words for horned and rabbit so it was just called a horned rabbit but uh, yeah they date back these sightings until the 13th century when uh, Persian people would say yeah there was like a horned rabbit hiding in the brush last night like near where we were camped out if they were out herding or anything they'd say oh yeah there was like a spotted a horned rabbit moving about in the bushes and they just considered it like a lot of them the less insane cryptids that we've looked at just to be an animal so they were just like yeah some rabbits were horned some rabbits aren't the one that i saw last night was the horned variety but it's a nocturnal horned variety do they come in different colors or is it brown with horns that's what i'm imagining it to look like with yeah, a sort of it, mean maybe not yeah you're imagining it exactly right so yeah Sweet. kind of like brownie like not that chocolatey brown color and they don't some have rabbits kind of wild rabbits right yeah with kind of a big like dewlap so that sort of big fuzzy bit around their heads and then mm. yeah antelope horns oh i see one again in the persian stories they also said like these horned rabbits could imitate like the tone of human voices so if you were singing by the campfire quite often they would like sit in the brush and would kind of hum along and it would sound like they were singing along <laughs> although they obviously wouldn't be able to say the words i love it <laughs> and there have been like other sort of famous areas of sightings so the most famous area where there's sightings of them in Canada is in Ontario National Park and uh, there's been quite a lot of sightings reported there especially between 2014 and 2015 when there was hundreds of sightings reported of jackalope and also all over the USA from the year 2000 up until now the majority of sightings have been by people under the age of 10 <laughs> Uh, which some people think makes it fit in more with it being like a mystical creature and then other people think that makes it more likely to not be true because it's only small children that are apparently seeing it yeah i mean rabbits aren't that difficult to catch so you'd think they, they would have some in a pen zoo but then i suppose if they're quite like reserved animals and they recoil away from humans but if you're under 10 you're always going to be weird so maybe they're not quite so scared and don't run off but yeah at the same time i suppose if they were everywhere i, I get what you mean like they would be uh... in pen zoos I don't believe they exist. I'm so cynical. But then this is another one that, as I looked into it, I then thought that this was a famous sighting in the 1930s and then realised uh-huh. there was somebody studying it. Um, oh. And this isn't proof that they are real, but this I, also wait, is quite could, a good explanation. I could maybe buy that they, were, they existed like in like maybe Persia, where animals were all kind of weird thousands of years ago or something, but maybe now, now it's not so much. Well... There was this scientist called Dr. Richard Shope uh, who worked at Rockefeller University in the US. And in the 1930s, a friend of his contacted him and said, I've caught a jackalope, like I've caught a rabbit, but it has antlers. So he was like, all right, sure you have. But he brought it in and sure enough, he had caught this rabbit with antlers. So Shope cut off one of the antlers. Oh, no. I mean, he didn't kill the rabbit. He just cut off one of the antlers and then carried out tests on it because it's the same with deer, I suppose you can... Not that you well, should go around and cut off deer's <laughs> antlers. I don't know if they do grow back, but they don't die from having the oh, antler cut off. Well, they don't die if you cut it, like, away from the base because it's just like a calcium growth. Like ah, okay. Right. I mean, I imagine it would still be possibly painful for it to be cut off. It wouldn't result in it. But anyway, so he removed right. part of the antler and he carried out a test on it and basically he found that the antler that he carried out the test on was was calcium but it was full of basically the rabbit version of hpv so rpv rabbit i can never say that is it papilloma virus that's right Wait, he found, yeah that it affects rabbits and again it has basically like similar to humans it doesn't really have that much of an effect on male rabbits but female rabbits it if they contracted it, it would have a really big effect on them. And part of that big effect would be that it would cause their... So in the same way with, um, like, human women, it causes some 
specific cells to become overreactive, which can then obviously lead to cancer. Uh-huh. But in rabbits, the cells it co- um, targets are the calcium production cells, ah, so the calcium production cells in the skull, but not in the teeth. So he thought that jackalopes were real, but actually all jackalopes dating right back to Persia were all just females rabbits that had this RPV. And when they got RPV, it would cause them to grow these two horns. Well, that that sounds logical. Yes. Do you know you're on mute? Yes. Okay. I don't know what's going on there. Anyway. Um, yes. <laughs> she's on mute. I don't know if she's making a call or I don't know. God knows. Anywho, uh, jackalopes. So, yeah, I could I could buy that explanation. That sounds reasonable. Yeah. I feel like I'm slightly reasonable as a singing task. thing. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's so that just does a legend. quite magical. Yeah, I prefer that. Like, are you singing rabbit? That's cute. But, yeah, I mean, I like both of them. I feel like I somewhat failed in the task because I decided to look Why? at Tizzy West first and there wasn't that much information. And then I thought, oh, well, look at jackalopes. And then at the end of my research, I was like, oh, okay, wait, they're just rabbits. But you're right, the that can sing in, like, whiskey then. They're... Well, I don't know. I mean, cryptids are supposedly uh, animals that do exist. It's just that no one has an explanation or no one's managed to scientifically, like, prove that they exist. So True. you haven't really failed in your task. I mean, cause for instance, like what I'm going to talk about just now is the Yeti, which everyone knows about, also known as the abominable snowman. Like, because I wanted to look into Russian cryptids, but there wasn't really a lot. And then I came across the word for Yeti in Russia, which is called the Chukuna. I don't know if that's the right way to pronounce it in Russian, but it's called the Chukuna. And in Russian folklore, it's said to dwell in Siberia, which makes sense because Siberia is fucking cold. Um, It's been described as six to seven feet tall and covered with dark hair. And according to the native accounts from the nomadic Yakut and Tungus tribes, it's a well-built Neanderthal-like man wearing pelts and bearing a white patch of fur on its forearms. (laughs) And it is said to occasionally consume human flesh, unlike their close cousins, the Almastis. I don't know what an Almastis is, so maybe someone should look that up. Some witnesses reported to seeing a tail on the creature's corpse. It's described as being roughly six to seven feet tall, which isn't really that tall. It does sound like a man. And there are additional tales of large bipedal, seldom seen creatures worldwide, notably including Bigfoot and Bonomos Man. So this is like kind of a Russian version of the Yeti. The Yeti is usually found in the sort of Himalayan mountains range in Asia. And people call it the Abominable Snowman, which I think is just mean. It's rude. Abominable. I've <laughs> looked up an Elmastis for it? you. Abominable. What? I've looked up an Elmastis for you. Oh, what's it look like? Kind of just what you're describing. Looks oh, like really? It, it looks like almost exactly the same as what you're describing. Oh. It's uh, a Mongolian uh, folklore creature said to inhabit some of the mountain areas of Central Asia mm. and Western Mongolia. So like, people think that the origin of the Yeti is like a combination of factors that people misidentify fauna such as bears or yak, like a combination of the two. I mean, some bears do walk on their hind legs, maybe, but they're not, they don't really look like men. So I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen a bear and thought, what's that guy doing? Why is that guy in (laughs) There's loads of different names and terms for the Yeti, other than the abominable snowman. In Tibet, they call it the Miche, uh, which translates as man bear. And there's also the Zute, which translates as cattle or cattle bear. There's another Tibetan word for it, which is Migoi or Migo, which translates as wild man. So if you ever, you know, pull a guy that seems a bit wild, you can call him Migoi at the club. <laughs> and then there's the Bun Manchi which is Nepali for jungle man, and that's used outside Sherpa communities. Bunnanji, that's good, isn't it? And then there's the Mirka, which is another name for wild man, which is something that Sherpas use. Uh, You find Sherpas that they often, I think it's disgraceful the way Sherpas are treated by these white privileged people that pay like 30 grand just to walk up Everest and then they the Sherpas actually have to put their lives on the line by yeah. carrying all their shit and some of them die as a result of like rock, like ice falling and things like that. It's just treacherous for them and they don't really get paid that much. There's a Kang Admi, which is snowman. 
And then in Chinese, there's the Suren, which is again snowman. And then there's the Chukuna, which is the Russian one. The name, the abominable snowman, was coined in 1921, the year Lieutenant Colonel Charles Howard Burry led the 1921 British Mount Everest reconnaissance expedition, which he chronicled in Mount Everest. He um, includes an account of crossing the Lac Bala at 21,000 feet, where he found footprints that he believed were possibly caused by a large loping grey wolf, which in the soft snow formed double tracks, rather like those of a barefooted man. He adds that his Sherpa guides at once volunteered that the tracks must be that of the wild man of the snows, to which they gave the name Metakangmi, which, as I said before, means man bear, and Kangmi transmits the snowman. So this is where it kind of all started, and then that spread about, you know, more people yeah. were going up and down Everest and wanting to, like, conquer these mountains where they would see weird tracks and they would think that they are Yeti footprints. The Yeti was also part of the pre-Buddhist beliefs of several Himalayan people. The Lechba people worshipped a glacier being, or glacier being, is it glacier, as a god of the hunt, and the followers of the Boon religion once believed the blood of the Migri god or wild man had use in certain spiritual ceremonies. And the bean was also depicted as an ape-like creature who carries a large stone as a weapon and makes a whistling swish sounds. <laughs> There's been loads of sort of sightings throughout the 20th century of yetis, supposedly. When, like, in the 1950s, while attempting to scale Mount Everest in 1951, Eric Shipton took photographs of a number of large prints in the snow, again, about 6,000 metres, 20,000 feet above sea level. The photos have been subject to intense scrutiny and debate. Some argue they are the best evidence of Yeti's existence, where others contend the prints are those of a mundane creature that have been stort- distorted by the melting snow. Well, they can... Again, though, if they're, like, shy creatures and it's in such a vast area and they hear people mm. approaching, maybe they are fleeing, so all you would see would be their footprint. Yeah, but I just don't understand how there could be apes living in such snowy areas unless they're sort of... Well, orangutans live in Nepal, which is quite close to Himalayas, yeah. so... And there's those um, monkeys that live in, like, around the, like, hot springs in uh, mm. frozen areas in, like, northern countries, so... Oh, yeah, impossible. the monkeys in Japan that, that yeah. hang about this, but, yeah, well, fair enough, I suppose, so... The Daily Mail, I mean, you can't really trust anything they say, but <laughs> this was back in the 50s, they sponsored some expedition in 1954 and this guy John Angelo Butt Jackson made the, the first trek from Everest to a place called Kachinjunga in the course of which he photographed symbolic paintings of the Yeti. Jackson tracked and photographed many again footprints in the snow which most of which were identifiable however there were many large footprints which couldn't be identified and they were flattened footprint like indentations. Some people attributed them to erosion and subsequent widening of original footprint by wind and particles like from bears for instance uh, but I don't think they're, they hang about that high up above sea level and interestingly also they were alleged to have found a yeti scalp which was found in a Pangboshi monastery but typical Brits they fucking steal it and put it mm-hmm. you know, take it because they think they own everything the hairs were black to dark brown in colour and uh, dim light and then fox red in the sunlight so the yeti could be a ginger <laughs> I mean Good. <laughs> <laughs> they studied it and they bleached it, cut them into sections and analysed them microscopically. They said that they were compared them with hairs from known animals such as bears and orangutans, but they couldn't conclude that it was from any of those animals, nor could they conclude that it was like a sort of hum- humanoid. So they don't act, it was inconclusive, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, if they don't know what it is, then... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know that that was going to be the worst form sentence ever. If you don't like, they don't know what it is, but you know what I mean. Like, if they can't say, they can't say, well, it's definitely not a new creature or a creature that's undiscovered. But then also say, when we found what was reported to be like DNA evidence of it, we couldn't prove yeah. that it was anything else. It's like, well, that indicates that it surely it's a is a yeah. it's, a, it's a cryptid at least. We don't know what it is. They can't scientifically match it to any of our fauna around the area. So it's intriguing. And then they also, there was a book called The Long Walk, published in 1956, where a guy called Slamimir Rovic, he claimed that he and some others were crossing the Himalayas in the winter of 1940. And then their path was blocked for hours by two bipedal animals that were doing seemingly nothing but shuffling around in the snow. <laughs> I would just be like, Dance excuse party. me. 
they were shuffling about having a laugh daft laughing that in the snow apart there's a guy called tom slick who funded um some missions in 1957 beginning in 1957 to investigate reports in 1959 supposed yeti feces were collected by one of slick's expeditions and the analysis found a parasite which could not be classified the United States government thought that finding the Yeti was likely enough to create free rules for American expeditions searching for it, which I'm surprised at because normally, when I tell you what they are, normally Americans just want to shoot the fuck out of everything, don't they? Yeah, and hunt they, and put them on their wall. But if I So what they said is what you need to do is obtain a Nepalese permit. Do not harm the Yeti except in self-defense and let the Nepalese government approve any news reporting on the animal's discovery, which I think is quite nice and responsible, yeah. isn't it? In 1959, actor James Stewart, like this is really bizarre, while visiting India, reportedly smuggled the so-called Pangbosh hand by concealing it in his luggage when he flew into India to London. Now the Pangbosh hand is an artifact from from a Buddhist monastery, uh, again the same place where this Yeti scalp came from, and supporters contend that the hand is from a Yeti. Why, why are they ransacking this fucking Buddhist yeah. monastery constantly? It's ridiculous. What a dick. <laughs> what a dick indeed. <laughs> right, okay, so uh, in 1970, a British mountaineer Don Whelan's claimed to have witnessed a creature when scaling Annapurna, which is a massive mountain in Himalayas, and he said that he once saw it moving on all fours. Well, that could have been a bear, I'm sorry, mate. There, in the 21st century, so has anyone found any evidence of Yetis? Yeah, he's there. Uh, in 2004, Henry Gee, editor of Journal Nature, mentioned the Yeti as an example of folk belief deserving further study. Writing the discovery that Homo florensius, which is an archaic humanoid or early human skeleton, survived until so very recently in geological terms makes it more likely the stories of other mythical human-like creatures such as Yetis are founded on grains of truth. So he's saying that they're sort of an ancient human that somehow survived yeah, and maybe evolved far to survive in the snow, which I could understand, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's perfectly now i came across when i was looking at yetis an interesting story which you might have heard of it's called the dilatov pass incident if i've pronounced that right and it was an incident in 1959 in which nine russian hikers died in the northern northern ural mountains between the first and second of february 1959 well i feel like i might have heard of this before well, yeah, uh, they went missing for ages. They were an experienced trekking group from the Euro Polytechnical Institute, led by Igor Dietlov. That'll be why it's called the Dietlov Pass Incident. He established a camp on the eastern slopes of Kolat Saikal during night. Something caused them to cut their way out of their tent and flee the campsite while inadequately dressed for heavy snowfall and sub-zero temperatures. After the group's bodies were discovered, an investigation by Soviet authorities determined that six had died from hypothermia while the other three had been killed by physical trauma. One victim had Mm. major skull damage, two had severe chest trauma and another had a small crack in the skull. Four of the bodies were found lying in running water in a creek and three of these had soft tissue damage of the head and face. Two of the bodies were missing their eyes, one was missing its tongue, and one was missing its eyebrows, which I thought was a bit weird. The investigation concluded that a compelling natural force had caused the deaths. Numerous theories have been put forward to account for the unexplained deaths, including animal attacks, hypothermia, avalanche, catabatic winds. Now, what is that? It's a drainage wind that carries high density air from a higher elevation down a slope. The force under the force of gravity. Apparently, that like can, a wind that squashes you. Yeah, something like that. High pressure winds, but I don't know how that would explain like yeah, the, the way they were to like, the head. Yeah, infrasound and just panic, military involvement, or some combination of these. Now, some people theorise it could have been a yeti that did this. But yetis are so nice. <laughs> well, they did say that the yeti, the Russian yeti does like to be a cannibal like it does but is it cannibalistic if if it's eaten that would imply that it would eat his own species not yeah eating humans, humans doesn't make you a cannibal unless you're a human yeah well maybe it was they were encroaching on its territory or something and yeah decided to fuck them up i don't know <laughs> but the russians concluded that an avalanche led to the deaths they said the survivors of the avalanche had been forced to suddenly leave their camp in low visibility conditions with inadequate clothing and had died of hyperthermia. And that they ripped their way out of the tents because it was easier to do that, 
to get away from the avalanche that they thought was coming to them, then like how you could come back and repair it later. But and the reason why they didn't have an adequate co- adequate clothes for the snow is because it happened at night and they were sleeping, so they had to run away quickly. And a lot of them were found in the woods because that's apparently where they went to hide, like from the avalanche to protect them from the snow coming to get them. But I don't know. I don't think it was an avalanche because they've looked into it and they've said that contradictory evidence. So they've said that the location of the incident did not have any obvious signs of an avalanche having taken place. An avalanche would have left certain patterns and debris um, distributed over a wide area. Bodies found within a month of the event were covered with a very shallow layer of snow. and And had there been an avalanche of sufficient strength to sweep away the second party, these bodies would have been swept away as well and it would have caused yeah. more serious or different injuries in the process and damaged the tree line, but none of that was evident at the time. No, I, I think Russians an avalanche makes any sense. Yeah. I like when you said, or uh, some people think it may be a combination of these, like mm. the Russians have covered up two of them, one of them was a yay, <laughs> one of them was an avalanche, the little mini avalanche. But yeah, that... I don't think, I don't, an avalanche doesn't make yeah. any sense. And he said, Dyatlov was an experienced skier, and the much older Zolotarov, who was one of their group, was studying for his master's certificate in skiing, scratching and mountain hiking. Neither of these two men would have been likely to camp anywhere on the path of a potential avalanche. Footprints pattern, footprint patterns leading away from the tent were inconsistent with someone letting loan a group of nine people running in panic from either real or imagined danger. All the footprints leading away from the tent and towards the woods were consistent with individuals who were walking at normal pace. So he said, so what they're saying there is that they weren't running in a panic. They were just walking about. But why would, does that mean they went for some reason, they went for a walk and then maybe a Yeti got them and ripped their tent? I don't know. I'm just saying it may have been a Yeti. That's that's my conclusion. I mean, <laughs> a Yeti definitely makes more sense than an avalanche. And I feel like it yeah. makes more sense than the Russian government. Like, I get that the Russian government are involved in a lot of shady doings, but I don't see why they just randomly murdered a bunch of, like, mm-hmm. Some people theorise that it was aliens, of course. <laughs> no. <laughs> right, and then I've got a short one here called the, which I thought was really interesting, the Dingo Net. So I've never it was, heard of this, so I'm very excited right. to read about it. <laughs> it's, it's really a, an interesting looking creature, and what fascinates me is that it possibly could have existed, but like the Okapi, where people thought that was a cryptid of legends, and it turned out to be real. This could be the, the opposite way, where it was real, but then it's turned into a legend. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. In the late 19th and early 20th centuries, European explorers ventured into the jungles of West Africa, you know, big game hunters, white, Mm -hmm. usually white men, and they found dozens of undiscovered species like the bongo and the okapi. So, like I was saying, what the fuck is a bongo? It's similar to an okapi with the stripes and the weird horns and stuff. It's like a sort of deer. And then along with confirmed species, they also brought back tales of bizarre beasts that they learned only through African legends or brief glimpses along the shores of steamy jungle rivers. There are dozens of such creatures, but the dingo neck is one of the weirdest of them. And it's called the jungle wal- walrus. It's another name for it. So the big game hunter Edgar Beecher Bronson described the dingo neck as... 14 or 15 feet long, a head big as that of a lioness, but shaped and marked like a leopard. Two long white fangs sticking down straight out of its upper jaw, back broad as a hippo, scaled like an armadillo, but coloured and marked like a leopard, and a broad fin tail. But he was a hideous old haunter of a nightmare that was beast fish. Blast at blighter's fangs, but they looked long enough to go clean through a man like jelly. A shot with a free a point three oh three caliber light rifle only angered it because he did try and take a shot at it. Apparently, this guy, and it just was like what? So I like it basically what he's saying is I saw this creature, I didn't know what it was, but I thought it was about ugly, so I attempted to murder it. Yeah, well, I mean that's what he's there for. He's there to murder animals, isn't he? It's said to be a carnivore that can choose to hunt or devour nearly whatever it wants, save for elephants. So it likes the elephants, apparently. Oh. This is because of it having tusks that are over a metre long and being so large, ferocious and aggressive that even large bull hippos fall prey to it. Uh, it would ambush hippos by sneaking up on them and then sinking its litre-long tusks into the thick skin of the hippo. Like, it's like, like a knife going through butter. I, mean, I think that seems a bit mean. Yeah, I think there's, a, there's more information I got here from another. There's an encyclopedia of cryptozoology about it. 
And it said that it was reported from southern Kenya. Usually it was known to the Maasai, the Kikuyu and the Okiek people. It's not been seen since 1907, which is that guy that I was talking about, the John Alfred Jordan guy, who's another English adventurer, who described it. He's one of the only eyewitnesses. We said it, it, it apparently looked like it was standing on its tail at one point when it leapt from the water. Like standing on its own tail? Yeah, standing on its tail. Hmm. But like, a, it sounds like quite dragon-like. I don't know. But they think that it probably did exist, but it just has since gone extinct. That's the theory anyway. Or it was just a traveller's tale, like a made-up story. Or it could be a mistaken identity that it could maybe they fought a pangolin was one of them, but pangolins are really small and they don't have tusks. So yeah, I did that. It sounds mm. like when you were describing it, it does kind of sound like yeah, huge. But then were there not those dinosaurs that were kind of like huge pangolins? Like maybe it was, and obviously there are still things that were alive. I'm saying dinosaurs. It wasn't a dinosaur, and I can't think of the name of the creature, but I'm sure there was creatures that were There's alive. Something called a neo dinosaur. They've called it a neo-dinosaur. It was called a Lukwata. It's like an African water monster, which it does look like a sort of Loch Ness monster type thing with a seal, mm. a cute seal head. But, oh, Yaz is back. I am back. What the fuck I'm happened sorry. to you? <laughs> I'm so sorry. My mum kept calling me over and over and over again. Oh. Like, over and over. So I had to answer. I'm so, so sorry. I'm really, really sorry. That's, okay. That's all right. We all know that mums can be the most dangerous yeah. of all crypt to infuriate oh, them. Yeah, basically. Mum, I'm doing a podcast. I've got important shit. I'm so sorry. I'm so so sorry. Um, oh yeah, I was just talking about the um the dingo neck. I really wish it was still around. I mean I'm hoping maybe there's one that survived out there and it's just, you know, elusive, but who knows? And then I'll just like finally finish with the everyone focuses on cryptids as like animals or you know, mammals or creatures that live that just live. And um I, I but nobody really talks about plants. So I was looking into cryptid plants and there's one that I came across called Hungry Grass. Um so I feel like that's an excuse for why I'm so fat all the time. It's an Irish mythology, so it, it it's known as fairy grass as well in Ireland, and it's a cursed patch of grass, so anyone who walks on it are doomed to perpetual insatiable hunger. So that's my experience <laughs> that. And I've heard of state of weakness. Well, they said that the hungry grass is cursed by the proximity of an unshriven corpse, the fear garter, or maybe a leprechaun. <laughs> the other stories suggest that the fairies plant the hungry grass, and the myth may also relate to beliefs formed during the Irish potato famine, so now it all makes sense because they were all starving, so that was something they came up with to explain why we're all hungry. Yeah, yeah rather than it's the fucking British arseholes. British, that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which was caused by fungi rather than like there was a potato blight caused by fungi, but you know, the Irish sort of blamed it on the fairies. And in there it says in Margaret McDougall's letters, the phrase hungry grass is by analogy to the myth used to describe hunger pains. An alternative version of the hungry grass story relates that anyone walking through it is struck by temporary hunger to safely cross through one must carry a bit of food to eat along the way so the only way that you can stop it from making you hungry all the time is to have a bit of food in your hands which i'm sure you'll appreciate mark yeah it was like, like that seems fine for yeah. me yeah i may have walked over it and not noticed <laughs> when have i not got a bit of food in my hand <laughs> no exactly when I mean, you've not got a sandwich or crackers or whatever <laughs> yeah so then the the irish famine connection is it was also known as the Great Hunger. It was a disease that made the hungry grass debatable whether or not it was real or just superstition. People thought that the hungry grass just doesn't eat people, it eats crops too. It wasn't always called hungry grass. People thought that the spirit of a man was, in fact, eating people. The word fear in Irish is both man and grass. That's strange. So yeah. hungry man came to be because they feared him. It was said that if you give relief, what did he mean by that to the hungry man? Wank him off or something? I just couldn't give him a sandwich, but I mean, maybe. Okay. You will enjoy unfailing prospect. Maybe give him a sandwich and a wank him off, you know, the I double mean, pleasure. Yeah, the... 
the greatest of all guys. unfailing prosperity even during the worst periods of famine and death. Nobody knew what the hungry man looked like, but visitations to Ireland may have given him an appearance. After this, Maxwell, who wrote Wild Sports of the West, made an assumption and called this famine hungry disease, which was made by fairies or was grown over by a corpse. Hungry grass was eventually what it was really called because certain grass you stepped on made you faint and keel over. This happened to many farmers and fishermen. And then finally, the final story is Hungry Hill, which I feel like I'm always on. Some have said that Hungry Hill is where hungry grass has originated from. The first person that ventured on the hill was never seen again. People were afraid to go even go by the hill. Nevertheless, someone else eventually got to go up the hill and lived. A young fisherman that came to Ireland wanted to fish there and the ocean was behind Hungry Hill. So he had no choice but to climb Hungry Hill and, and to get to the ocean. In the morning, the fisherman forgot to eat breakfast, so he thought he would eat it on the way to the ocean. He brought an apple and a sandwich for lunch. He got the apple out and started eating it. As he got to the hill, people started yelling, don't go up that hill, but he didn't listen. As he was climbing, the grass on the hill wriggled, almost snake-like, and wrapped around him. He was still eating and every time he took a bite the grass would fall off him so when he got to the shore other fishermen told him that the hill was said to kill people so how the fuck did you get here he then put two and two together and came to the conclusion that if you ate while on the grass you wouldn't fall ill the fairies were furious and desisted to plant hungry grass everywhere some people brought food with them wherever they went others were skeptic and eventually fell to their doom the famine had eventually stopped when people built a wall around Hungry Hill. If the wall was to ever fail, the hungry grass may come back again. Oh my god, so maybe... I really want that to be real. That sounds so cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> Do you think there's a wall at that in Ireland? Maybe. Around a hill. And maybe where the Great Famine is that mm-hmm. because they didn't have enough food to survive the hungry grass, that's why they all starved to death, which is a bit disrespectful to people who actually <laughs> died <laughs> in the famine, but then there you go. It's a children's tale version of that. I feel like I'm always walking on hungry grass. That's why I want to eat constantly. I'm hungry all the time. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm must never not hungry. Been to Ireland? I've not been to Ireland, so you must have. Uh, I've been to Ireland. Yeah, They've got exactly. some like, villages with walls around them. Oh, you go. <laughs> or like in them, so I don't know. Maybe maybe the, the hill is actually the turtle, and that's why it's next to sea, because it's actually on the shore. Oh, yeah. Maybe. It all it comes all together comes in the end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because like you said the sea was on the other side of the hill. Yeah. It must have been a turtle, like, just proper up at the shore, like, sleeping. <laughs> and it kept eating people. That's why people didn't survive if they went on the hill. That's a good point, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> that's a new myth that we can add it's a crystal myth Woohoo! right okay well that's our cryptids done for this week and yasmin's just come in at the end there um (laughs) me and mark had a good old gab you were here at the start and end that's true so yeah i just um how about yes you pick a number for next week number four number four is Oh, I like this one because uh, I, it's been so long that I don't know what the note on it is. One of the two of you must have said this. So, ghost trains, ghost cars, oh. ghost tags, and ghost windows, which is the bit that I put a question mark it's next just, to. Like, haunted things. Haunted objects. We've done haunted no, objects. No, so, because I think it must have been when we did haunted objects. So, it was like haunted bases, uh-huh. which I'm confused by windows. But yeah, like haunted spaces, so like yeah, haunted, haunted trains, haunted cars, haunted towns, haunted villages. Okay, right. So, so it's not an object, broad. it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a more of an area or... Yeah, it has to be like an it's area of, okay. of ghostly right. activity. Okay, it's like a haunted house or something. Okay, that's interesting. Yes. Also, like maybe like like a suggestion like ley lines. Yeah, and, that would work. And that covers like a massive like, area. Yeah, electromagnetic energy that seems to attract weird shit happening. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like that. Okay. Yeah, I think I might focus on that then. Cool. Right then, that's the end of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed. Oh, um, I actually got an email from like <laughs> an email from someone. I thought, oh, brilliant! Finally, someone's emailed us. But no, it was just some guy trying to like flog his marketing company to market the <laughs> podcast, and I was like, Nah, I'm not interested. Thanks. <laughs> what was he gonna? What was he offering? Like, you know, just to get the podcast more like fame. I don't oh, know. Okay. Exposure. Much. Like, yeah, and I'm just like, well, we're not that big, and like, I don't really want it. I don't. I run yeah. it. I'm happy just running it the way it is. 
Yeah. I like Mark's exclusive little club that you know our listeners are select group of listeners. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Not out for the fame, mm. <laughs> and I don't want. I don't basically just want to me like I don't want to pay any money for him to like. He could be a con artist. I don't know. Yeah, he could be. Yeah, he could so that, be. He could be. My email, our email address, our show email address is crystalmethpodcast at mail.com. So if you've got any actual comments rather than trying to sell stuff to me, <laughs> sell your business, um, why don't you send us an email and comment on whatever you like, you know, what your favorite podcast is, what you've, if you've got any podcast suggestions, like topics you'd like to talk about or just anything in yeah, general. Yeah, we like topics in, like we would yeah. happily do whatever topics you guys pick. Yeah, and if you're on Twitter, you can tweet us. Just look up Crystal Myth Podcast and you'll find us or it's podcast underscore myth. Or you can go on to Facebook if you like that. And we've got a Facebook group that you can join or a Facebook page. Again, just Crystal Myth Podcast. So there's loads of options for you. Or you can send a raven, like I always say every week. <laughs> you can, yes. Or an owl. Or a turtle. Or a tizzy wizzy. Yeah, or you can maybe astral project. You could possess one of us. And oh, then yeah. while we're doing next week's recording, tell the other two what you would like us to do. That's so scary. There's unlimited options. <laughs> or you could like, contact us through an Ouija board, maybe. I don't know if how that would work. That's but... fixed, right? Okay. I like it. Well, I think, oh, shit, that's my mic. That'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I look forward to discussing weird haunted things. Yeah, this is awkward. Let's end this, please. Yeah, please end it. Bye. 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 Bye.